On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, the end of the year is a good time to look back, take stock, and to plan for what's to come. And that's what we'll be doing. This is John Hall, and welcome to episode 48. A quick word on content. The show is for nano brewers, both existing and in planning. So tell us what you want to hear. What are the topics you want to learn more about? And what issues are you interested in? Who are the brewers you want to hear from? Email us. It's nano at byo.com. And now on to the show. For professional brewers and drinkers, 2023 is going to be remembered for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of strong feelings and a lot of realities coming to roost. But so much of that rests on the numbers. Bart Watson, the chief economist for the Brewers Association, is here for a conversation about the year that was and what the new year might look like. But first, a word of thanks to this show's sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Fermentus. There are occasions when a single microorganism is not enough. That's why Fermentus gives you all-in-one, a brand of specifically blended products, which can be made from a mix of microorganisms, catalysts, nutrients, and more. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit Fermentus.com. We're also brought to you by Grainfather. Whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today or go to grainfather.com to learn more. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. And now let's get into the conversation. What was this year like? To get a good read on the situation, it's best to look at the numbers. And when it comes to craft beer, Bart Watson crunches the data and provides context. He's the chief economist for the Brewers Association. He's also a stats geek, beer lover, and a certified Cicerone. He holds a PhD from the University of California, Berkeley, where in addition to his dissertation, he completed a comprehensive survey of Bay Area brew pubs, one pint at a time. You can follow him on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, at BrewStats. He joined me via Zoom. Bart, welcome to the BYO Nano Podcast. I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So right before we went on, you said that you like to be asked new and novel questions. And it occurred to me in that moment that I, I don't know how many conversations the two of us have had over the years. You've been on other shows. Uh, we have uh, uh, extolled the, the the virtues of Rauk beer together for more years than I can count. And I see you at the the state level conferences. I see you at the outside uh, beer conferences, certainly at the at the national craft brewers conference every year and you gave the keynote uh, earlier this year you're, you're you're everywhere and you're always talking about the numbers uh, which I, I i know is your profession but i i, I realize that 
in the interviews that I've heard with you and done with you in the past, I don't think I've ever asked you where your passion for numbers came from. How, how did you find yourself in this career, in this profession? Yeah, that's a a new and novel one. So so I appreciate it. Um, Everybody's like, oh, give us the good news, Bart. Give us the yeah. bad news, Bart. You know, nobody's ever like, what's your life like, Bart? You know, it's there. There's a there's a man behind the the data. There is sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I you know I've always been into the numbers. I was a I, I will proudly say I was a mathlete in high school, and you know went you know traveled around the the, the Midwest going to math competitions. So that's always been a, something I was into and. Um, went and got my PhD, not necessarily in numbers and in, in political science, did political economy, always did it from a more quantitative point of view and, um, you know, prof- was a professor for, for a year. So kind of was leading to a very academic life and then came across the BA job and um, saw it, seemed cool, applied for it, got offered it. And my wife, uh, who's far smarter than me, um, even if she doesn't do numbers, um, said living in Boulder and you know, doing beer numbers sounds great. We should do it. And she was right. And and here I am today. So it, it this job is obviously a, a combination of two things that, that interests you in, in your official bio, you talk about uh, being in the Bay area and going dissertation, you know, pint by pint of all of the various uh, um, breweries that, that, that were available to you at the time. Do you remember the first beer that opened your eyes to things beyond the larger macros that were out there? Yeah, I don't think there was one. Um, you know, I remember I remember the first time we got a um a keg of of Sam Adams Boston Lager for one of our, you know, dorm parties and you know, thinking how much better that was than the you know, Keystone Light or whatever it was we had bought uh, the time before. Um, living in the Bay Area, you know, we went to uh, Triple Rock, uh, one of the you know original Bay Area brew pubs. was was on my way home from from campus um, when I was in grad school, and we would go there on on Thursdays. They would do um, called Monkey Monkey Shine Ale that you could you could get and you could get and take home growlers. Um, we would do that almost every week and, you know, remember looking forward to that. And, um, so I, I don't know that there was one, but you know, there was so much great beer in the barrier, a lot, lot less than there is now. Um, so going to every brew pub and, and tap room was a lot easier back then, but it was just something I found myself gravitating to more and more. I did the anchor brewery tour on my 22nd or 23rd birthday. Um, and just, you know, found myself interested in, you know, the beer, the, the culture, the, you know, just all the things that that have made this industry so great. When you did take that job with the Brewers Association, which was how long ago now? Uh, a little bit over 10 years. So I've been, yeah, 10 years plus. What was the landscape like then? Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a smaller landscape. You know, we were a couple thousand breweries, 2000. So, you know, we're four and a half, five times uh, that today. Um, it was one where, you know, there was, exploding possibility i mean clearly we were we were really entering that revved up growth period uh that many on this podcast may remember of double digit growth and you know it seemed like there were breweries opening you know more than daily three four a day um wasn't quite we weren't quite there yet but we were getting close in an era really of expansion to you know one of the things i remember most is just that was a time 
you know, we're kind of in the opposite now, but, you know, the distribution expansion across the country was happening. So it felt like every week, you know, not only were new breweries opening, but you were getting new beers that, you know, hadn't hit Colorado or whatever market. Um, and, you know, it was one too, where, and I've, I've been talking about this in, in some of my talks recently, you know, I think there was really a lot of consumer education still going on. You know, craft beer wasn't ubiquitous. Um, you didn't expect it to be everywhere that you walked into, or if it was, you know, there was one tap, there weren't, you know, three or four. And so there was still a lot of, a lot of just teaching what craft beer was. And I feel like that was a bigger part of what, what we as an association did back then is just introducing people to the the wide range of flavors, to what craft beer could be and, and what it was. So looking back a decade ago, and obviously you, you, you trained for a role like this, and obviously you had the uh, enthusiasm for, for beer as well. I don't know if there's surprises in your industry, but when you got into the job and you really started looking at what was happening with the numbers on the spreadsheets, um, was there anything that surprised you as I don't, you know, an economist? Was, was was there something like that made you sit back in your chair a little bit? Like, oh, wow, that's that that's pretty interesting. I, I imagine you thought about a lot of the angles beforehand, but was there something that stood out as particularly interesting back then? Well, I think one of the things was just how much variation there was. Um, you know, we don't have one market in the U.S. We have you know fifty one markets, and um, because of the Twenty First Amendment and all the different state rules, and just how much variation existed place to place, which is still true. Um, you know, we're, we, we, Vermont is not, you know, Mississippi, um, and, you know, Colorado's not California. And, you know, I think that was one of the things that, that surprised me most just how, and, you know, cause I had mostly lived in the places, um, or traveled to the places where the craft beer revolution was happening. So maybe I, I assumed it was ubiquitous. Um, but going to, you know, a place where I could see all these numbers happening at once, you started to understand how spiky it was. Um, you know, uh, so I think that was surprising. You know, another thing just in my, my role was how you know, there's a lot of data in this industry, but how little of it was out there and being published. And the BA was, was doing a good job of, of getting some of it out there already, but you know, how successful the industry was kind of flying by a seat of its pants data wise. Um, you know, that, that, that surprised me too, just how little people knew about what was really going on. They just knew it was working. Are there... I imagine it's gotten better over the last decade of of brewers reporting numbers, keeping their numbers, uh, better track of their numbers. Is, is there, are there still call to actions that you have for brewers out there as to what they should be tracking, what they should be keeping and maybe sharing? Well, yeah. Like bur- I mean, brewers, yeah. Yeah. Brewers have always been good about, you know, tracking their numbers because they have to for the, for the taxes. Um, so sure. Um, you know, but I uh, guess outside of that, like, is there, yeah. yeah. Well, and I will say, I would love a few more of them if they reported them to us. Um, but that's, you know, that's just my, <laughs> my personal desire. You know, I mean, I think one thing I've seen over the years is, is really keeping track of, of some of the business side stuff more and, you know, some of the stuff that's maybe a little bit less sexy and, um, you know, in the era, you know, we were talking about four or 10 years ago, um, and I've heard other brewers say this too. I mean, you know, people really watch those production numbers and the production growth. Um, and, you know, you would hear people come up to each other at conferences, you know, how many, how many barrels did you make last year? How many is that up? Um, uh, you know, which is, is kind of crazy to think about. And, and one thing I think we've, we've seen this shift, but I think still ha- has to happen even more is, 
a focus on the business numbers that you know really drive the outcomes. It doesn't doesn't matter how much beer you make if you don't make any money on making that beer. Um, you know the the profits are what you put in the bank, not the volume. And and I, I think we've seen brewers get more sophisticated about that in in a wide range of things because this isn't just about you know one single number on your balance sheet, but a you know wider look at um, you know, all the things you do and how you can you can track those, you can improve those. Um, but that's a place that you know I think there's still more for brewers to do, which. Eh, you know, at some level, I mean, it's a, it's a thankless task. And, you know, a lot of these small companies, I mean, the brewers, the brewer, the janitor, the bartender. And so asking them to be the data analyst too, is, is a, is a tough task. That's part of why I think, you know, um, my role exists is to, to help with that. Um, but that's a, that's a place too. you know, I think there's still room for growth and for brewers to understand how much data is out there, how much data they create themselves in, in their various forms. And I think they will see if they spend more time looking at it, that they get returned from that. I mean, what are some of those returns? What are some of those benefits that you've seen? Um, you know, just for the folks who aren't necessarily thinking about it, like what's what's there to be excited about or potentially excited about? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if excitement's the right word, but well, I, I think there is stuff to be excited about. I mean, I've started closing some of my presentations. I know there's some doom and gloom in the industry right now with with a little bit more positivity because this is, you know, it's still a big industry with a lot of fans and you know, I think a lot of opportunity out there and. And I, you know, I won't point, maybe I'll be vague on purpose or on purpose isn't quite the right word, but, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think there's just a, a great opportunity if you have the time, if you have the ability to switch from operation mode to forward looking mode. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in forecasting, um, not because you can actually act, uh, predict anything. Forecasting is like the, the hardest thing to do in the world, uh, but because, Switching that mindset to what might happen and how am I going to be ready to react to it, I think is a is a place that puts the present of your business in a better place. Um, and and so, you know, I think the opportunity, the excitement there is to switch from passive rider, you know, boat in the in the storm in the industry right now to one that is really trying to more proactively chart a course, you know, pick a strategy, pick a pick a direction. Um, and that's where, you know, numbers have always made sense to me is you can look at them not just for what's going on, but for testing what's next, thinking about what's next, using them as a as a place to to stress test those ideas and and start to develop, you know, your own individuality, which, you know, I mean, that's why craft started, right? It was it wasn't about doing what everybody else is doing or just understanding the averages. It was about charting to a new place. And um, you know, I hope I hope that data is one of the things that helps the industry get back to some of that, some of that kind of wildcat exploring. Um, that, you know, I think we, we need a little bit more of again. I know people were talking about, you know, disruptions and pivots and et cetera, et cetera. And the last three years have just been just brutal. I know for, for a lot of folks. And when I hear you say, you know, forecasting, um, I think it's fun to have that optimism or to, to, to try to be thinking about, uh, what's to come, but with everything that brewers have gone through over the last three years and that, you know, most of us have gone through as well. How much does that impact forecasting? How much does that impact what the quote unquote normal beer world would be or industry would be? I I think all of that turmoil makes it harder and makes it more important. Um, So when everything is changing, that's exactly where forecasting and part of the, point of forecasting is you're going to get it wrong but 
in doing so, if you're looking at those forecasts and you're watching them, you're hopefully going to gain understanding into why you got it wrong, what is changing, and what maybe you could do differently next time. Um, so, you know, the, the point here is not to try to act accurately predict the future because nobody can do that. I mean, the last three years shows that Any, anybody who had a forecast in 2019, you know, was was immediately tearing it up in 2020. And um, I think this process of predicting the future has gotten even harder. Um, because society has changed, I think, more rapidly. There's so much stuff when you look at the numbers that, that just looks so fundamentally different from um, where it was. But the goal here, right, is to, to take control of, of where you're going. And, you know, I think, I think delving deeper into, you know, even parts of your business, you know, understanding how you're, you know, I, I just wrote analysis from um, Arrive point of sale data on, um like things like time of day or day of week. And, you know, that's stuff that brewers can be doing with their own data too. And, and understanding and thinking about how that changes their offerings or, you know, staffing or what they do and, you know, what opportunities that suggests to them. Um, you know, that's why you forecast not, not to get it right, but when you get it wrong to start asking interesting questions and, and hopefully, you know, pushing your, your business to, to new places it wouldn't have been otherwise. More in a moment, but first, thanks to this episode's sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Fermentus. There are occasions when a single microorganism is not enough. That's why Fermentus gives you all-in-one, a brand of specifically blended products, which can be made from a mix of microorganisms, catalysts, nutrients, and more. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit Fermentus.com. We're also brought to you by Grainfather. Whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes or you want to easily add production capacity to your nanobrewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70-liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half-barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today or go to grainfather.com to learn more. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. And now back to the conversation. So we're here in mid-December. This is that time of year for reflection. What's 2023 going to be remembered for? What does the data show us? Um, you know, I I hope that, you know, at some point 2023 will be seen as Nadir, a low point. Uh, you know, maybe not. Maybe we're still going to go through more of the the rationalization we're going through. Um but, you know, I mean, 23 is a year where, you know, I think we we see a lot of the numbers prove and prove is maybe the wrong word, but suggest heavily that, you know, it's not the the industry it was. Um, even in 22, I think we could tell ourselves to a certain extent that, oh, this is still just coming out of COVID. And, um, you know, maybe we're going to get back to to where we were. Um, I think 23 is the year that showed us, you know, the craft industry has and I saw somebody 
taking issue with, I've been using the word mature, which, you know, maybe isn't the best word, but it's more developed. It's, you know, it's not the growth industry that it once was, right? You know, if we're thinking about where we are on the S-curve adoption, you know, we we are on the flat part right now. We're not on the, the growth part. Um, so that's what I, when I look back at 23, I, I hope it is the resting point before more new future growth, but it, it's certainly a place where I think we have to accept the industry has has reached that developed maturity, pick your pick your favorite word here, uh, before it finds the the next level of strategies for growth. Where could those next levels come from? You know, I, I think those could come from a lot of places, right? You know, on one hand, craft is big, one out of eight beers in the U.S., um, on another hand, that's small, you know, it's one out of, oh, that means seven out of eight beers are seven, still out yeah. there and, <laughs> and, and, you know, within beverage alcohol, you know, uh, I mean, you know, cause beer's about, about half of actually a little bit less now is, you know, spirits has really taken more, but you know, one, one out of 16 drinks. So 15 out of 16 drinks are, are out there. Um, you know, I think it has to come from new places that, you know, craft his mind, um, it's current demographic, it's current places geographically um, as much as it can. But, you know, I, I talked earlier about one of the things that surprised me when I came in is how spiky the distribution was. Um, it's not going to be easy to open a brewery in you know Mississippi, but there's probably more opportunity there than there is now in, say, Boulder County, where we, we have so many, such a density of breweries. Um, so I think it's going to come from new places, new occasions, new drinkers who aren't currently in, direct, in craft, but we can educate, we can invite in. Um, and, you know, as well from, you know, the next new beer ideas that we don't have yet. Um, so I, I don't know what those are. I wish they, I did, I'd go out and start a brewery if I did, if I was that smart. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think there's still plenty of possibility and opportunity out there and it's, you know, it's on everyone to, to go out and find it. So overall then if, if 23 is going to be remembered for maturity, and and you know everything that you just said um what did the numbers show you what are some of the top level takeaways and maybe we can drill in a little bit on some of those but um what does the data show yeah you know i think it shows there's not a lot there's not a lot of growth yeah you know, and again that doesn't mean not everyone's growing so averages high distributions and there's plenty of people who are who are still finding their way out there but as a whole um, we're not seeing a lot of growth. And when I, when I look at the numbers, you know, you get below the kind of the production numbers to the survey numbers to me, that's because we're not growing customers anymore. We used to be getting more people coming into the category than we're going out. And, and now those are more in balance. So we either need to convince people to stay or we need to invite new people in. Um, you know, the numbers show a lot of variations still by, by place and channel. So small breweries are, are still doing generally a little bit better than dis- distribution based breweries who yeah. face, I think a set of unique challenges too around retailers and distributors looking to simplify and, and rationalize their businesses, but also a lot of product innovation that um, hasn't come to tap rooms and brew pubs yet. Right. Nobody, nobody's got their RTD cocktail bar yet. Um, <laughs> I guess, you know, they already face it in the, just the face of, you know, on-premise general, but um, I think they've been spared some of the the competition that, that we see in distribution so far. Um, and I, I, I would stress so far because that stuff tends to trickle down into the wider ecosystem eventually. Um, it's a little bit reverse how it used to be. When I came into the industry, it was starts in on-premise and that's where you build brands and then it goes to off-premise. And that seems like that's flipped around that now all the innovations kind of off-premise focused. 
Um, so there's, you know, variations within this, but it's a, it's a slow growth environment where, um, you know, people really have to differentiate themselves to stand out. And, and when you do see growth, it's, you know, it's kind of in these pockets where they're finding new ways to create, create new occasions, create new drinkers, you know, be that, you know, 19 twos and convenience that, you know, has unlocked a channel that craft really never got into very well. Crafts always had super low share there or, or non-alcoholic, you know, which certainly is a opportunity to put a beer in somebody's hand where there wasn't a beer before. Um, so it's a, it's a complicated market and, and one that I think we're going to see evolve a lot in the coming years. I want to ask you about the 19 twos because I, I see them more now and what, what my understanding of that, that category is, is that there are a lot of the, the larger breweries have made a move into it and it's usually the higher ABV beers as well. And when you're talking about C stores, convenience stores, um, I've seen some, some crazy stats of, uh, people who are buying them or are drinking them within something like three hours of, of purchase. Um, but it, it, it's a category that has fascinated me, um, just over the last year, because in the craft space, it, it seemingly came out of nowhere. I'm sure that there was a lot of thought behind it, but for me, as somebody who doesn't spend a ton of time in convenience stores, all of a sudden it's like, all right, I'm, I'm noticing this now. Um, what's, what's driving that popularity? Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's one, one particular thing. I, you know, I, I will say one thing that's driving some of it is that breweries are actually focused on it. Um, and breweries have tried, you know, and convenience has been one people have talked about unlocking for years. And, you know, I mean, there were other formats and things that maybe worked better there, you know, back when we had 22 ounce bottles, you know, that was something that, that got some traction. Um, but, you know, I think a, you know, breweries started focusing on it, right. There are concerted efforts to unlock that channel, to think about it independently. Cause you know, if you go out with one product, right. To, and you try to sell the same product in the same format in a tap room in a grocery store in you know, a bar in convenience, it's bound to fail in some of those, right? Those aren't the same drinkers, the same buyers um, who are there. So I think we're seeing brands that are are focused on and, and thinking about developing that market. Um, you know, I think some of the product innovations also just worked well. Um, you know, asking people to, um, you know, crush, you know, a 19.2 of Imperial Stout five years ago, you know, wouldn't have worked. Um, you know, whereas some of the fruitier, hazier IPAs maybe work better for, for that occasion, what people are looking for. You're right. It's one that, you know, people are looking to buy and, and consume. That's, you know, they're, they're one they're, they're walking around with that night. Um, so I don't know that there's one thing other than people focused attention. Um, there was an opportunity there and, and craft found a way to connect with some new customers who are, you know, and, and it's controversial. You talk to brewers about it and some brewers are kind of like, you know, shake their head and it's like, ah, eh, that's not, that's not the beer we got into. And, you know, those aren't the customers I want to sell to. And it's like, that's fine. But you know, that's a place that the market's growing. And um, I think we can take the generic lesson from that. Even if you don't want to do that, what does that teach us about how you need to be systematic about thinking about new occasions, new customers, going to market and, and it really executing on that? Yeah. The other side of that is the NA space, which you brought up. And it, it's been really fun to see that growth. And not only with NA beers, but also hop waters as yeah. well which they're, they're, you know um does that fall into the overall i don't know beard data if if a if a craft brewer is making it or is that is barrelage counted against that is there a or is it not included right how, how does how does the na yeah 
category fit into the larger craft beer industry numbers wise? Yeah, you're making me realize live on the air that I need to add some guidance on our annual survey about <laughs> hop waters because we 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 actually have counted. So NA, I can I can answer more definitively. We've asked brewers yeah. to include that. It's not going to show up in the tax data because it's not tax, but it is it is regulated by um, so federal alcohol administration acts. You know, characterizes malt beverages and and NA beers by and large are are um, still malt beverages. So. You know, brewers are, are going to be keeping track of them. They're going to have TTB labels. And, and we ask brewers to include them um, in their numbers when, when they come to us, which, you know, still aren't huge. And it's still a limited number of breweries that are making them. But um, that is a place that, um, you know, we do try to track and count. And, I, you know, it's not going to work for everyone. These are technically hard to make. Um, you know, I think they're they're not going to work for all occasions. But I, I like I like pointing to it because it's a perfect example of Yes, there are now going to be times when there's a beer in somebody's hand where there wasn't before. And, and in particular, our craft beer. I think craft brewers have, have done well. And, you know, these aren't the only, only example. I talked to a lot of tap rooms and brew pubs who are seeing the same kind of stuff with, you know, light lagers. Um, and they're just getting people in their tap room who weren't there before and now are becoming regulars because they're offering they're offering a beer they want. And they're meeting them at that place. And, you know, maybe at some point they're trading them to, to something else that they make that's fuller flavored. But, um, you know, that's the the place... I think brewers got to be hyper focused. Is where am I putting a beer in somebody's hand that it wasn't there before? Because there's only so many hands that you know want a an IPA that that we can fill right now. Talked you know about distribution early on, but it the taproom model and especially for for small brewers, how's that segment doing? I think it's doing better, though. So, you know, I'll say better, not great. Sure. Um, you know, well, yeah, 2020 at- obviously hurt a lot of that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and when we look at the data, you know, I think one thing we're starting to see is is the possibility that, you know, while I think that channel is going to grow this year, um, it's growing, but getting sliced in 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 so many more ways in a way that doesn't mean individual same stores are, are growing in quite the same way. Um, you know, that's also a place where on-premise operation has been hit with a lot of cost increases. So, um, you know, it's always been a a fairly good margin business. Um, but, you know, I think some of that's being being challenged and eroded. Um, so it's doing better. You know, I think there's more positivity there. And it's a reason that we still see the vast majority of breweries succeeding. You know, closings have gone up, but they're still incredibly low in the grand scheme of things. Um, and that's because I think there's been more health there. And, you know, in our consumer data, we still see interest in going to breweries. Um, that the percentage of people who say they visited a brewery in the last year has continued to tick up. And that's a great sign that, you know, the overall demand for craft is still there. Um, but I think it's becoming, we can say that, we can say it's good. Demand is still growing for that channel. Um, but also acknowledge that that demand is getting sliced in more ways and it's getting more and more important to to do something different, to stand out. Because there's a lot of good breweries out there. There's a lot of choice. Um, and so you got to work harder to make people walk through your doors. As you think about forecasting, um which I know you said is, is, is certainly difficult. Um, anything on the horizon for 2024 that you're curious about or that you're wanting to keep an eye on? Oh, there's a ton of stuff I'm curious about. You know, I, I love nothing more than my, you know, time series uh, graphs that I get to drop one more data point in and, and wonder if that's just a one-off that bounced around that month or if it's the start of a new trend. Um, but I mean, one I'm watching very closely is just some of the overall beverage alcohol numbers. Um, while I don't think these are important to an operator on a kind of a day-to-day level, I think there's an interesting conversation around, 
you know, are we just drinking a little bit less as a society? And, and the overall numbers have been a little weaker this year. And there's a possibility still that some of that is just built up inventories from, from kind of the post COVID period. And that, you know, we as a society at retail at our homes are, are just drawing down these huge supplies we stocked up. Um, but I think that's one that'll be interesting to watch next year. Um, and, and we'll get another data point on Gen Z. Um, they were clearly different as teenagers. They, they, they tell us, at least in surveys, that they drank a lot less um, underage, which is a good thing. Um, but we're still getting to know getting to know them as 21 plusers and whether that's going to hold true. Um, there's been some good articles written on that recently, and I'm interested in, in writing one, too, because, you know, I, I think one thing that'll be interesting to watch is just do they take a little bit longer to, to develop? And what does that mean then for their kind of beverage alcohol journey? Does that take them longer to get into craft because they didn't start drinking beer until they were 25 as opposed to starting at 18, like um, previous generations not to be named did. So, um <laughs> Um, yeah, th those are a couple, but you know, I think there's a million things I I'm always watching. I mean, that's part of the fun of this job is you're watching costs and supply chain. You're watching, you know, breweries, you know, not just overall, but by channel you're watching, um, you're, you're watching things like these total, you know, economic indicators as well. I mean, you know, as an economist right now, it's just a fascinating time to watch the, the fed try to engineer this, this soft landing. And then, you know, back to after the landing back to growth. Um, so it'll be interesting to see as interest rates come down, what the economy looks like next year. I know people are always asking you for insight and your advice and everything. I I, I want to sort of throw it back on on those folks. It's uh, January is always that time of year for uh, resolutions and and trying to you know, maybe possibly better ourselves or, or or be better. What's a what's a challenge for the new year that you'd like to put on some of the smaller breweries out there? So somebody pointed out to me recently that um, this, is, this is going to be a slight diversion, but that at the end of PowerPoint slides, everybody just says thank you and that that's wasted space and that you should put a message there. Um, so I've I've started adding, um, you know, what are you going to do to grow occasions? Um, and that's, you know, that's the that's the challenge I, I'm trying to put out into the craft beer world right now. And I don't have the answers when people come to me with, you know, um, questions. They often, I think, are seeking answers and I like to tell people that's not my job. My job is to give you data and then hopefully have that data inform decisions. Um, but, you know, my challenge to, to breweries out there is what's the occasion or or the customer? I mean, you could think about it the same way, right? Because if it's a new occasion for them that, that brings them into craft, it works the same way. But but how are we going to grow that pie? Where, where are we going to put a craft beer in somebody's hand where it wasn't before? Um, because the longer we're just all competing for the same people, you know, they can only drink so many IPAs. And, and some of us, I'll, you know, I'll speak for myself, are getting older. So maybe can drink a few, fewer IPAs than we, we used to be able to. Um, so, you know, I think that's a place people have to be focused is not just, you know, competing for the, the, the same hands reaching for those pints, but creating a time, a new time that somebody's going to drink a pint that they weren't before or, or inviting somebody in who wasn't going to drink a pint who, who maybe is going to now. I dig it. Bart, thanks so much for being on the show this month. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for sharing your story and uh, giving folks a lot to think about. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. Happy new year. You too. How will you remember 2023 and what are you looking forward to in 2024? Tell us by emailing us at nano at BYO.com. Or you can also tag BYO on all of the various BYO social media channels. 
going to invite you to head over to BYO.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month. So subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. You can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at BYO.com or again, checking in with us on all of the various BYO social media channels. As always, thanks to this episode's sponsors. Fermentus. There are occasions when a single microorganism is not enough. That's why Fermentus gives you all-in-one, a brand of specifically blended products, which can be made from a mix of microorganisms, catalysts, nutrients, and more. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit Fermentus.com. We're also brought to you by Grainfather. Whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today or go to grainfather.com to learn more. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast from All About Beer. Just find that where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was composed by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. For now, Happy New Year, and we wish you all the best for a small but successful 